welcome everyone out to our podcast today. On today's episode, we have the great, the high, the mighty uh, Dave Webb here uh, joining us again today. Say hello, Dave-o. That was a little bit much, Jeremy, but hello. <laughs> yeah. We um, were, like I said last time, we, we uh, Dave and I were together on a podcast. I sure am glad to have him back. Um, we miss not having him around here at the church and on the show, but um, here we are. So on today's episode, we want to dive into a discussion on, I guess what we would call this, Dave, is, is church order, uh, church order, how a church um, uh, should, uh, should operate in an orderly fashion. Does that, you think that would make sense for a, for a title? Sure. Instead of things being out of order, we want them to be in order. Dave, are there any, uh, have you ever witnessed um, a, a church that would seem to be out of order? Maybe you've seen, uh, whether it's on television, the internet, or uh, videos that people have shared, have you ever seen things that you would say seemed a little out of order? I don't want to mention names, but yes, sir, I have. <laughs> you weren't going to mention us, were you? <laughs> you jerk. No, um, no, not at all. Just with, right, and we, we, we don't mean anything ugly to disparage or, or to be mean, because sometimes people just genuinely have been taught wrong, and they've or they're making bad decisions, um, and we always want to give room for repentance and for folks to be able to come to their senses and get things right. So, um, in no means, by no means are we trying to be ugly or, 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 or nasty, but in order for us to have a conversation about what it means to be in order, sometimes we have to identify what out of order is. Dave, we've been talking before we went on air, um, just again, without making any specific references um, to any, anything that would you know, sound like you're making it personal um, towards anybody or trying to call anybody out. Would you want to give the folks some ideas of, of uh, or some uh, some examples of what you have seen that, that is like out of order behavior in churches? Well, uh, to me, God has set up His church, uh, the Church for Jesus, and uh, right. there's a certain way. I mean, it's sometimes I think people forget that the head of the church is Christ, mm -hmm. you know, always. It's not, it's not the preacher, it's not the deacons, it's not the church itself that, that rules and, mm -hmm. and makes up uh, right. all these things. It's, it's always Jesus. Uh, that foundation is what gets weak, and that's what I see most often that needs to be corrected. They... The people in the church get too much into the flesh, and they forget that Jesus is always the head. Now, when you say that people get in the flesh, give me some examples of what you mean by that. And give several. I mean, um, we don't have to get like really, really into each each one, but just throw out some examples of things that you mean. It Probably the most obvious most of the time is when the, the, the pastor, the leader of the church goes astray a little yeah, bit well, you know I was, I, I was hoping you were going to use the word um that you used before we went on air i did I, for, for, for the record we don't have a list of things for dave to say we've just been discussing this for about a half hour before we went on air and i kind of felt where he was going um the word you actually used before we went on air was a pastor going rogue which is what yeah what you said but going rogue meaning going away from the instruction manual the, the command that he was given, which is 
what is the what is the guide for the church? Yeah, I think I also said something like uh, uh, going off the deep end. Yeah, you know, it, they're still in the pool. They can always, you know, be pulled back right. or right. maybe swim back themselves to the, you know, the shallow end where they can stand up again. But, uh, but what what is the guide yeah. for the church? If if Christ is the head of the church, then what would be the guide or the the what is it that leads the church? It would be His Word, correct? So anytime, yeah, His Word is total. The, the right. pastor, the way I understand it, is an angel. Okay, and that doesn't mean that he's. Just real sweet, but uh, <laughs> he's supposed to be the messenger, and the messenger of what? Oh, yeah, he's supposed yeah, to be the yeah. messenger of yeah. God's word to the people. I want to. I want to just pause real quick and brag on Dave. I wasn't sure that he knew the definition of. I'm not insulting him, but but you nailed that. That is exactly when when the pastor is referred to as the angel. It's not right. It's so not when he's no longer the messenger of Christ, okay, yes, exactly. Then he's astray. He's Boy, he's out of out of line. Man, this is next level. Podcast. And that's well, you, you, that's you the reason I love these these podcasts, the discussions <laughs> that we have, the teaching, right. because it's all centered on Christ, and right. you feel the truth of that, you know, come through you when now, uh, when you hear it as the messenger the messenger of, of, of God's word. Yes. We have our Bible, which is our, our guidebook, so to speak. Um, uh, well, I mean, it is our guidebook. It is for but fact. But you know yes. what I mean. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, we don't read one verse, formulate some wild opinion about it, or, 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 or develop a singular, uh, develop a doctrine based on a single verse. Doesn't the Bible say not to do that? <laughs> yes, it's it's line upon line, precept upon precept, meaning that you, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a thing be established. And what you'll find is all throughout Scripture, if there is one doctrine, I'm sorry, if there is a doctrine that, that you want to teach about, you have to make sure that there are two or three other witnesses of that throughout Scripture. Like, for instance, this morning, Dave, I was preparing my message for Sunday, and there is a statement that is made in um, uh, made by Paul that is a reference to something that is said in Proverbs that was something that was said by Job, or said in the book of Job, that is something that is said in the book of Hebrews. Right, and it would still be all four, pertinent today. Uh, of course. It carries yes. all the way through, all yes. All four. Those are four witnesses at least, and at minimum, because there are other way, there are other verses you could tie into that. So the basis for the for the how shall I say this? The basis for um, genuine and good work in the church is Jesus being the head, His Word. Not just you pull out one Bible verse and you want to sling mud at someone, but you look at the whole of Scripture, and that's how you formulate. Not your opinion, but that's how you formulate your doctrine, the, the, that which you build your life upon. Yes. It's not just taken from one verse. It is from multiple verses. How many verses spoke about the Messiah that would one day come? From Genesis to Revelation, it's chock full. Absolutely full. Chock full. Now, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, I mean, you name it, they all spoke about Jesus. Yes, and when you say that Jesus is the head of the church, he, which he is. He is the head of the church. It says so. It says so. What was his commandment to his disciples when he was with them? He said, a new commandment give I unto you, that you do what? 
love God first with all your heart and uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Yes. He said to them, a new commandment I give unto you. Love one another as I have loved, loved you. you. Mm -hmm. By this shall all the world know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, we also read that love, and, and it's, I believe it's First John, um, one of the, I believe, well, one of the books of John, I believe, um, love covers a multitude of, have love for one for another because love covers a multitude of sin. Which makes good sense because the Bible says that God is love. <laughs> and God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah, you can you can see that just so all through the Bible. Is it possible that when we remove now, now a lot of people will say that Jesus is the head of this church, that then they will proceed to not love one another, or they'll proceed to try to find fault with one another. You know, well I tell you, I know he's sinning. I seen Dave Webb doing such and such, and instead of covering that sin we feel like we have to go around scream and yell and expose everyone's sin and a lot of the errors uh, a lot of the error codes that will flash on the out of order church sign or on the out of order church will say things like out of order due to criticalness out of order due to a lack of love and compassion out of order because this is no longer mercy and grace it's all about works and ex ex exposés right you've talking you've talked sense? about a lot of these things uh you've preached about them you know in front of i've heard you you know speak about them all the time uh, I'm trying, you've Dave, pushed I'm you've pushed for our church to have unity, to be yes. of one mind, and not of our own mind. Not of our own mind, not of our own tradition, but of, of but what of does the word say. Uh, absolutely. And you can see, because the Bible also says that if you've got these, if you've got that, if you've got that love for him mm -hmm. and so forth, that you would have, I can't remember all of them, but you would have peace. You would have, you could tell a believer lots of times by the things the, the gifts that he has fruits. because yeah. the words in him the fruit of the spirit is peace love joy kindness goodness meekness uh faithfulness uh, gentleness self-control if you see that in a person you you got a pretty that, good idea right that should be the measure of of someone's faith not whether mm -hmm. or not they've never drank alcohol not or whether they drink it currently not whether or not they uh, watch them paid movie channels like the HBO. It's not whether or not they drive a certain vehicle or or starve themselves to prove that they're or how they dress or anything. Right, else. Or how, yeah, how they dress. It's, it's it's none of that. The fruit of the spirit is rooted in love and the ability for me to not act untoward or unkind or or, or to not. The fruit of the Spirit reveals Christ working in me to share His presence with other people. That's perfect. His, his that's exactly what. Uh, that's exactly what it is. Well, I want to. I want to talk uh, or read a little bit here from Second Timothy chapter two. Uh, when Paul is writing to Timothy, Paul knows that 
he even says this in, in his letters, the time of my departure is at hand. He knows that he senses that the end is near for, for, for his life. And I mean, it would, I would, I would love to do a, I mean, I, I don't know. I've, I've had some folks who are like, you ought to write a book. And I'm like, man, you guys have never been inside my brain. Have you, you know, <laughs> um, the, 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 I would love to be able to either do a series of messages uh, or a series of podcasts or even I would, I mean, yes, I could write about the relationship between Paul and Timothy. I think it's very important that we, that we understand that relationship because Paul calls Timothy his son. Uh, it's, he says, my, my son in the King James. On 2 Timothy chapter 2, let me, let me jump in here. Paul, like a father, is wanting to pass on this mantle to his son. He wants this, this work, this ministry to keep going. And here's what he says, uh, starting in verse 1. Now I'm going to read. I, I'm going to read it the first verse in the King James. Then I'm going to read it in the English Standard, and then from verse two on, I'll be in the English Standard. But I want you to hear the contrast between King James and English Standard. King James, verse one of Second Timothy chapter two: Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now listen to the English Standard version. You then, my child. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, doesn't that? I'm not saying that him calling Timothy his son does not have the same effect, but doesn't that kind of get to you when you hear Paul say to Timothy, "My child"? Yeah, sure it does. My, my child. That that is a more than a term of endearment. It just shows the feeling, the connection that they Between they the have. Yes. And uh, yes. And as a I child. Can see it. A child, your child will take on the characteristics and will have the personality that you have. Some of your personality traits, some of your character traits will be passed on to your children. The good, the bad, and the ugly. They'll get them. Well, he goes on and he says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This sounds to me as if Paul is saying to Timothy, I want you to do what I've done. Establish churches, make sure they have pastors that are faithful men who will be able to teach others the things that I have taught you. In other words, this is passing this, right. this ministry down. It would, uh, if there was a, a picture of a building of uh, Paul's ministries, it would be Paul and son. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah, Paul and, Paul and son. Well, you see it on uh, <laughs> movies all the time. So this is, this is the work that he wants Timothy to do. It's the work that Timothy's doing, but 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 he's he's or, or at least the work that Timothy has been trained been training to do. And now Paul's saying the time is is come. Um, I want to turn this over to you. I want you to keep this going. <clears throat> he says, uh, make sure that they are faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now he shifts gears and he starts talking more more personal, uh, or even more personal. And he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So. Paul makes it clear to Timothy that serving Jesus is not going to be without suffering. That's true. That's a statement of fact. You are, you are going to, all those who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He says in verse 4, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. For instance, if a soldier 
is active duty, the military does not want that soldier to be getting into a bar fight with right. one of his companions or... If his duty is there to keep the peace, then, you don't right. want uh, somebody upsetting the Cor- peace. Correct. He says in verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. That what are the true. rules by which we live? We've already defined that. See, we, we set that up earlier. <laughs> it is Christ is the head. His word is our guidebook. He is, that is the rules. Those, those are, that is the rule. Those are the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now, Paul makes a reference to Timothy um, about something that he's addressed before and will address in other letters about the, uh, the, some will say this is about making sure that Timothy teaches and, and, and maintains the doctrine of paying the pastor, making sure that the pastor is paid to be able to do his work. The hardworking farmer ought to have the first share of the crops. Uh, this is also, this is also, could also be a reference to the joy of doing things the right way and being able to see the, the, the hard work pay off by, by doing things by the book, doing them. Oh, the that's, that's always true. But I mean, you have and, to and, survive in this, well, in this world. And both, and, both of those can be, yeah, they have to work together. True. Yeah. Think over what I say. The Lord will give you understanding in everything. He goes through verse, in, in verses 8 through verse um, 13, Paul, again, reiterates what we said at the beginning of the podcast. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. What is, what is Paul saying to Timothy? Remember what I have gone through, what I have endured, and what I am enduring. And understand that you will not always be um, you know, the most beloved when you, by, by the world or even those in the church who right. are in the flesh uh, because of what you're doing. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, those who will come to faith that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we shall also li- we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So there is our basis. Paul is saying to Timothy, understand that the basis of the whole Church, the foundation of the whole church is Christ is the head. He is Lord. Christ is Lord. Yes. Jesus is Lord. And it also speaks of him being the cornerstone. So it, he's the foundation we build on. It's, he's everything. everything. He's everything. And, and he is the one that gives us, empowers us, and gives us the, the ability to be able to do the work that he's called us to do. Think about what he says in verse 7. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding yes. in everything. And that is a spiritual understanding. Uh, you have to be, uh, no man can worship God. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. Yes. So it's not just spirit, because sometimes there are other spirits than the spirit of God that will lead you astray 
And the way we know that we're following the Spirit of God is because it lines up with the truth. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit will not deny Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here in verse 10, or I'm sorry, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David. That, that is important. What, what Paul is saying is, is all the way back, uh, and of course the offspring, the root and the offspring of David, you can even go back further than that where Abraham would be the father of David. Go back before that where Eve is told that her offspring will one day crush the head of the serpent. All of this is tying in all of the word, okay? That's the important thing. It's the word. The word is the basis of everything that we do. Now, moving on into verse 14, this is where we'll spend some time talking. Uh, verse 14, all the way through the end of the chapter, um, Paul Paul starts to get even, it's, it's like you are starting on the outside and you're peeling back layer by layer by layer and getting deeper and deeper and deeper uh, and more personal, more personal, more personal um, about how a, a leader of the church, a pastor should lead a church. And he says, remind the, when he says remind them, he's talking about the men who are going to be pastors. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. What does he mean by the word words? Don't quarrel about words. I am not trying to be ugly. And I'm not going to, say, I'm not going to apologize for what, <laughs> for what we're going to discuss. I'm not trying to be ugly, but Dave, have you ever heard people who claim to be ministers, pastors, just argue over, well, I don't believe that verse means that. And it's, and it's, I'm not, it's not even really about them getting to the, to the core of what that verse is about. It's really about two bulls that have an opinion about something and neither one of them wants to budge an inch. And in a lot of cases, both of them are dead wrong. Yes. You're exactly right. They're butting heads over something that doesn't even matter. Doesn't even matter. Like how many times have you heard Christians fight over whether or not you should drink or not? Or whether you should wear a tie in church. Yeah. Or whether women <laughs> should, should women always wear dresses. Ain't no woman up to be wearing no paints, no paint suits. How, I mean, what I'm getting at here are, these are things they, they take, all right, there is a premise of, uh, there is a, a, a fragment of basis in the word. Like they'll say something about, well, brother, the Bible says that we're to be holy for God is holy. Okay. All right. All right. That's, that, there's, yes, that is true. Be ye therefore holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. One day will rule this earth so for 1,000 years. He's telling you to be in the righteousness of Jesus because that's the only righteousness there is on this earth. What did Jesus tell his disciples to do? This is my commandment I give to you. Fight, separate, argue, debate, yell, scream. Not another, what he said. And find out which one of you is the biggest bull at the trough. Or does he say, love one another, as I have loved you, do what I do. Be ye therefore holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. Yep. What does Jesus say in John 13? I believe it's 13. A new commandment I give unto you. Who's the king? Jesus is. He is. Who gives the commands? 
The king does. He does. What did the king command his disciples? And what are we today? His disciples. Love one hundred percent. Love one another love as one I another. have loved you. By this may all the world know that you are my disciples, not by whether or not you wear a brown pair of pants and a black tie, whether or not you have a white long sleeve dress shirt on, whether or not you don't wear paint suits as a woman, whether or not you drink beer, whether or not you don't eat meat, none of those things. It's by how you love each other. That's how all men will know that you are my disciples. That's what Paul is saying here. These quarrels about words do no good. It only ruins the hearers. How many people hear this garbage and just shut down immediately? I mean, think about how many sermons get preached on a Sunday morning that's really nothing but a quarrel about words. And the congregations just shut down. Or worse, they buy into that garbage and then they go out quarreling about words. But eventually, the Bible says, how will they know unless they have a preacher? How will they hear unless they have a preacher? Makes your job pretty important. Oh, it does make the job very important. Very important. Eventually, there is someone that God wants to hear these words. You don't know who it is that he wants to hear these words, so you can't quarrel about stupidity because you don't think, well, they're not going to be saved anyhow. How do you know that? I mean, at all times, in all places, in all things as believers, we should make sure that the first thing people see from us is our love for them and for the Lord. Because if we love God, we will do what He He's we will do keep His commandments. Is that correct? Yes, one hundred percent. If we love God, we will keep His commandments, and and His commandments are not harsh. They're 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 not hard to do. It's just they're all based in love. Do them. It's love. Now, He says in verse fifteen, "Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth." Paul doesn't say that Timothy will never have things that he has to get um, uh, correction about or things that he doesn't need to fix in his life. He's saying, do your best. Do your best to be a worker that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. It's possible that, that all of us as human beings could misunderstand something. Sure. But what Paul is saying is don't open your mouth about something you're not positive of because what might happen is you might make a mess. You want to be able to be presented as one who is able to rightly divide the word of truth. Now, remember what remember what Paul says to Timothy back in verse 7, think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. If if sometimes we would think more about what we're about to say before we say it. I think I believe, I believe that this is, I don't necessarily mean that Paul is directly referencing this verse, but, or this proverb, but I know that it's a for, that it, it's part of his formulation. It's part of the formula. It's part of the calculation. It's part of the, the process of Paul's uh, living because it's the Holy Spirit that brings the word to us and brings it back to our remembrance. But doesn't this sound a whole lot like the verse in Proverbs that says, even a fool is considered wise until he opens his mouth? Yep. So he goes on and says in verse 16, but avoid irreverent babble. Now, some people say, that's saying bad words. 
telling them dirty jokes. If only it were that simple, Dave. Right. If only it were that simple. Paul refers to many of the arguments that we see on Facebook, religious arguments on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and wherever else people go to air their dirty laundry and make a fool out of themselves. Yes. He calls those stupid arguments irreverent babble. Now, those same people that post that garbage, I I don't say bad words. I don't cuss. I'm right there with you, Paul. Amen. Avoid that irreverent babble, for it'll lead to people into more and more ungodliness. It's in bad words. Mm -mm. It's in bad teachings. It's that garbage that has been put into someone's head by someone who was either not called to be a pastor or someone who was in error at that moment in teaching erroneously. And that happened. You do realize that people in life love Jesus and can be involved in, in bad doctrine that they eventually get delivered from. Sure. Okay. Avoid irreverent babble. That's foolish arguments. That's what he Paul calls them irreverent. He calls them irreverent, meaning they're ungodly. I don't care if you use the if you don't use the F word or you've never said the D word or anything else. That's not what he's referring to here. What he's referring to is when you hop on your phone or open your mouth in front of people, and you do know notice that most of the people that post it on Facebook won't say it out of their own mouths and you know publicly because they don't have the guts to do it. And I mean I'm not saying that they should just go wait a minute. I'm not saying they should say it, I'm just right. saying they get behind that screen and they'll say things, you know, uh, whether it's some, some, I don't whatever it may be. It's something that's um, hateful and ugly, um, something that is, uh, I don't know what the, what you would call it. It's, it's more than just religious. It's, it, uh, it's like um, when people are, are pushing, you know, bad doctrines, you know, like, I, I tell you what, brother. All them people celebrating Halloween, that's the devil's day. Dave Webb, I have dressed up in a costume from the time I was born and gone and picked up candy, and I grew up in a uber, ultra holiness Pentecostal church. My grandma didn't wear pants. My papa and my dad wore suits and ties to church every Sunday. I've been through it, and we and we still celebrated Halloween. We don't celebrate Halloween. We're going out and getting candy, man. But when you go out and you say things like, if you're new, you're a Satan worshiper, that's the kind of garbage. That is, that there's no basis in that. There's no, that, is, that is an opinion that someone has, and they're trying to push it as they're better than other people because they don't do those things. But you know what? Deep down, they wish they could put on a mask and go get some candy. But if you want me to be kind of an, I'm not going to be ugly. I'm not going to be ugly, but I am going to be pretty blunt. Those same people. Wear a mask every day, pretending that there's something they're not. That is true. He says to avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. That means to draw them away from God. To be godly is to be close to Him. Right. right. And the way I read that a lot, too, is, is you really shouldn't be saying anything that Jesus has not already said. <laughs> because He's the only one. He's the Lord that knows and he's in charge of everything and so forth. So if he said it, it's true. And if you're saying something other than what he said, you're 
lining up with somebody else. You're not lining up with him. Paul says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, is preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. No one can chain it up. That's pretty plain to me. He says their talk will spread like gangrene. What is gangrene? It's something that attacks the body. Mm -hmm. Destroys. It destroys the tissue fibers. And, and if it's a lot of people uh, lose needed, limbs and appendages and so forth because it and now God really doesn't want to lose any any of the body. But listen to what Paul says. Not going Keeping to. the gangrene and losing an appendage in mind, he says their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are now this is a personal letter to, from Paul to Timothy. I'm not saying that Paul is throwing their names out there publicly, but there are conversations that people will have. I mean, godly conversations where people will say, hey, man, listen, I love them, and I'm, I'm going to pastor this church, but, brother, we got to watch out for so-and-so. That's not something that you go out and publicly, you know, condemn someone or, or, or criticize them publicly, but sometimes pastors and leaders in the church have to have very frank conversations about issues within the church. That doesn't mean that you're talking about those people or putting them down. Let me explain to you in real time here in this letter what I mean by that. Okay. Paul says, Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Paul, is, Paul does not say, Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, two big dumb jerks that I'd like to punch in the throat and shove off a cliff because they don't like me. That's not what he says. Paul says, there are two men that you need to be cautious of, Timothy. They have swerved from the truth. That's not a disparaging comment. That is a statement of fact. Saying that the resurrection has already happened. They were saying that there would be no resurrection, that we were, I'm, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to speculate here that what, what they were teaching was, uh, because this was a common teaching of that day, that the resurrection that happened when the uh, Old Testament saints got up and, and received their new bodies at the resurrection of Jesus, yes. they were saying there will be no more resurrection. That's it. That's the only resurrection. Um, he said they're upsetting the faith of some because Paul teaches the very opposite of that, that the dead in Christ will rise first. We which are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air at the rapture. And then John goes on to teach that there will be another resurrection of the dead at the end of the tribulation period, another resurrection of the dead at the end of the millennial reign, and then we see the great white throne judgment where all who have not believed from the beginning of time until, until the day of, of uh, the last or the end of the millennial reign. So <coughs> he says, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So what he is saying about Hymenius and Philetus is that it, he is hopeful, hoping that if they are the Lord's, then the Lord will bring them out of iniquity. Remember when he says to Paul, yeah. or when Paul says to Timothy just before this, do your best to present yourself as one approved of God, able to, uh, not to, not ashamed, but able to rightly divide or rightly handle the word of truth. It could be that Timothy might find himself one day going, oh my goodness, I was wrong about such and such. But what Paul is saying is don't make statements 
that you know not to be 100% a factual according to the word. Because these two men had made a statement that was in fact very much inaccurate according to the whole of Scripture. Right. So that's what Paul is saying. So Paul is not being ugly about these men. He's saying, I want to see them come around and get things right. But, Timothy, avoid that. That's, that's wrong. Don't make up things in your, in your head about what you think happened or will happen or, or whatever. Or how, it's only what Jesus said correct. was going to happen. Not what you think. I don't care how the United States of America does it. I don't care how they did it in the 1950s. What does Jesus say? His truth is timeless. Right. And you just read his truth because when you try to interpret it and say, well, this is what Jesus meant, you're actually setting yourself up above as saying, well, I'm smarter than Jesus. Let me explain it to you. Jesus explains himself. Okay. All you have to do is listen. Throughout the whole word. Now, he... He says, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful for the master of the house, ready for every good work. He is saying that in the church, there will be those who are teaching things that are dishonorable. He says that. Sure. He says to Timothy... If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, which is teaching that which is incorrect, that which is erroneous, that which is, or, or living according to tradition versus what the Word says. If you cleanse yourself from that, if you stay away from that, you will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. I mean, I am so far removed from the beginning of, of my ministry that, and, and pastoring a church, nine, been here nine and a half years, pastored at you know, a church in Frankfurt before that, um, that we'd started. Yes. Um, and, and being involved in, um, you know, for like roughly 12 years or so of, of, of you know, continuous ministry. You know, there was a span there for about six years where, I, you know, I had to go through a cleansing period, a, a detox of sorts, if you will, from all of the spiritual... Um, <laughs> I don't know why I want to be careful about words here, but all of the uh, spiritual um, debacles that I have, all of the, what's what, I don't want to use the word abuse, but um, I had, I had to, I had to heal. That, 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 that span of time was a time for me to kind of get my head. Yes. Kind of back. Sometimes you have to clean off all the dead branches and leaves and so forth and check those roots and make sure that they're solid. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 but having been engaged in ministry for the length of time I have now, uh, and even during that time of, of, of me being distant from ministry uh, for the purpose of healing, I had to, um, I had, I had, I have been so far removed from like the, um, beginning stages of ministry that I sometimes almost forget what it was like when there would be people who would say they were called to preach. I feel like the Lord's called me to preach. I believe the Lord wants me to do this or do that. And they might start a ministry, try to, and it would, you know, it would, it would, (laughs) it would burn out or fall, fall like a, (laughs) like a meteor from heaven, you know, it would blaze out. But, I can remember 
you know, seeing people and thinking, my goodness, I mean, the way you live and conduct yourself, the way you treat women, the way you treat people, the way you talk about people, the way you fight and argue and everything's in it, about you conquering this and conquering that, I'll face them head on, I'll hit them in the mouth, I ain't scared, I'm gonna, I'll show you what a real man is in the pulpit. A lot of people, to the, you know, even today, um, have been taught wrongly, and they have this idea that being forceful and harsh is the way that God wants to be. Well, you just, you're just, you just can't handle me because you're, you're weak. You're a sissy. You need to be a real man, a real woman, and get out there, and you need to mix it up with people and let them sinners know that they're wrong, and you need to confront everybody in the church and let them know. This is how it is. Now, I don't believe that's what Jesus said to do. That's not what Jesus said to do, and it's certainly not what Paul's about to say to Timothy. He says to Timothy, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. It's going to get worse. For those who think you should be uh, militant <laughs> in, in your in in the in the carrying out of ministry, because mm-hmm. uh, Paul's going to go deeper. You ready? Oh, have this, nothing this one to, hurts. Have huh? I said this next one hurts. Oh yeah, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. So apparently, Paul and Timothy have shared in some sort of an experience where this has happened and Timothy has seen firsthand how these controversies breed quarrels. Dave, there are some churches that are being tore apart by internal controversies. Not controversies like, ooh, that pastor cheating on his wife. Ooh, them deacons are stealing money. That's not what he's referring to here. What he's referring to is when a church gets out of order, and it's no longer about Jesus and what Jesus says, right. but it's about the individual opinions of whether it's the pastor or the church, people in the church, whether it's ministers in the church. that have got, There's nothing uglier than a church that is at odds with, each other, with itself. Now, the Bible says... Oh, how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. And oh, how painful and intolerable it is when they don't. Paul says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Right, must not strive. But must be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Wait a minute, what's evil? <laughs> well, yeah, define define the word evil. Define right. that. What would it be? Well, to me, God is good. Mm-hmm. Everything that comes from God is good. Jesus is truth, life, all Every those things. Every thing cometh down from the Father of lights. Perfectly, yes. And... To me, evil is anything that is not of God. Anything that's contrary. And 
Yeah. That would make this whole earth evil because there's so many things on it that are not well, of God. Specific, the, the, the specific reference in this letter is pastors and the church. Yes, the world is evil. And why would we allow evil into the church? You would not if you're of God. And how does evil get into the church but by the people? And how is evil dealt with according to the Word? The Word of God is preached. Conviction is brought by the Holy Spirit. The people recognize the error of their ways. They confess their sin to the Lord, and they turn away from it and say, i, I got to quit doing that. It's more than just alcoholism, adultery, abortion, homosexuality, um, theft. That, that's Jesus, pretty. Jesus I, didn't say by those things will men know that you are my disciples. Right. And those sins can all be forgiven. There's right. only one sin that cannot be forgiven. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's to deny Jesus. Yes, to deny Jesus. So what... When Paul says patiently enduring evil, what he is saying is that a pastor must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Long-suffering is, as God is long-suffering. But he goes, right after the comma, he says, correcting his opponents with gentleness. When a pastor sets out to correct the evil or the wrong, Sure. They don't do so because they are opposing people and wanting to harm people and wanting to hurt people. When someone is caught up in evil, they are opposing themselves, are they not? They That's are true. opposing themselves because they are now the opponent of Jesus, because they are going against what Jesus says. And if a pastor loves his sheep, he doesn't want to see a sheep ramming its head against a tree stump incessantly right because eventually it will cause harm maybe even irreparable harm to that sheep he doesn't want them to have brain damage so paul uses a really it's really neat the wording he uses here because he says patiently enduring evil correcting his opponents with gentleness so what happens when someone is opposing the lord they're going to oppose jesus's word who is the one that preaches the word in the, and teaches the word in the church? The pastor. The pastor. So if a person is opposing the preaching of the word, when the word is preached, who is that person going to oppose? Going to oppose the, the pastor. pastor in, but he's really opposing, opposing Jesus. Jesus. But if the, the pastor right. has to be patient because sometimes we have to endure evil in order for Jesus to be able to work out his mercy and grace in someone's life. Paul is he's, a perfect example, is he course, not? <laughs> he said, does he not say that earlier? He says, I am Just in exactly. prison for preaching the word. And it goes even further than that. Jesus said to his disciples, if someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to them also what? The other. Yeah. If they take your cloak, Offer them your robe. He he teaches us that. And I understand that a lot of people would say, that's right, brother. 
pastor ought to, he ought to endure evil. He ought to be able to, to patiently endure it, and he shouldn't strike back at people. But the same people in the pews will do what? Lash out at one another, fight. Well, I ain't called to be no pastor. Do you realize? The Bible says that pastors, because they teach, the, not many men, James said, I believe it's James says, brethren, not many men should desire to be teachers because teachers will be held to a higher standard. That is true. The higher standard that they're held to is not that they are better people. It is that they, because they're teachers of the Word, should be able to live out the Word because they're always studying it and, and teaching it. Therefore, they should live it out. But the purpose of the pastor living out the Word is not so the congregation can go home and say, oh yes, our golden goose up there, he's living right. He's doing what Jesus wants. And every Sunday we come and hear his words. And, and, and that makes us better, makes us good people because we've put him up there to say them nice things. We fully intend to not follow along with them because, but by golly, he better because if he gets out of line, we're going to call him out. The, buddy, I'm telling you, that is the, if there's ever truth come out of my mouth, that is truth. They are worshiping an idol. They have set up an <laughs> idol in the pulpit and they worship it. But they'll most, of the time right it's, most of the time it's their self. They'll turn right around, and when a pastor stands up there and tells them the truth that they need to hear, they will come at him with daggers and torches and pitchforks and say that he's a mean person. He's Who does he think he is? What is he doing? When the pastor does what you want them to do but doesn't preach to you that you should do it, they love him. But when the pastor says, we all should be doing this, I'm going to lead by example, but all of us should be living like that. Who in the world do you think you are? You stepped on their self-righteousness. But Paul says you cannot be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, even those who aren't kind to you. Now, you're not going to be able to answer this question, but I can because I'm a pastor. Okay. Have people ever been mean, spirited, ugly, said awful things, done awful things, been disrespectful, even to the point of, of uh, physical towards pastors. I mean, I can speak personally. Yes, all of the above. Yes, they have. And in my human nature, do you know what I want to do? I'm going to be quarrelsome. I don't want to be gentle. But I cannot... I, I cannot, not because I'm a good person, but because of the spirit that restrains me. And when I think about what Jesus did, how he endured suffering, and how he did all of that so that all of us would be able to come to know him one day, I have to follow his lead. Jesus did not say to the woman caught in the act of adultery, keep being an, adul an adulterer. Right. He said, where are your accusers? There are none, Lord. Neither do I accuse you, condemn you, go and sin no more. When a pastor experiences the quarrelsome ungentleness of a congregation when he or of someone someone or some people in the congregation when he corrects evil, he can't stop correcting that evil. In other words, he can't back away from that and say, Oh, I'm so sorry, you're right. Keep doing that because no. I'm gonna be held accountable because if I see evil 
error. I have to, I have to, oh, I can't, I can't, I can, I can lead a horse to water, but I can't make them drink it. I can't make them see the truth, but I have to show them the truth. I have to present it. Right. Even if it means that they throw me in prison. <laughs> of course, that's a harsh, um, I'm referring back to what happens to Paul here. But I have to be willing to confront it in the church. This is what he's talking about, in the church. I have to be willing to confront it in the right way. The right way is to not stand up behind the pulpit, scream and yell, and launch personal attacks against the person who has done me evil. Right. He, he, he says you, you have to correct them with gentleness. You do not use the pulpit as, as, art, as an artillery cannon. You, you do not get up there and express, vent your anger. Now, there will always be someone that will see a pastor that's passionate about what they're talking about. And they could always say, oh, he's just being mean. He's being passionate. There's a big difference between anger and passion. They look a lot alike to some people because passion will sometimes have more emotion attached to it because the person feels what they're saying. And I'm all for that. I have no problems with that. At times, I get passionate. But what I have a problem with are when people are yelling, screaming, beating the pulpit, and launching their own personal attacks against individuals or the world out of anger, not out of love. Again, the basis of everything here is, is the Word of God, and, it, and the Word of God is all about the love of God. He says, God may perhaps grant that person that is in error repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, meaning having the right way of thinking. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Ooh, that hurts. So this is a person who has been made a prisoner of the devil. And brother, you can see it when it happens. They're bitter. They're angry. They, they, they find fault in everything. They're overly, they're overly critical of every single thing, always looking for a way to cause a problem. Never having good things to say, always something negative. Right, because the they've devil's been, telling them that's the way to be. They've that's been what captured. Yes, they've been captured. Now, the devil doesn't come to them and go, go be evil, celebrate Halloween. What he, do what he does is he comes to them and says something along the lines of what he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. Well, with Eve specifically in the garden. And he'll say, yeah, that ain't right. Ain't nobody going to talk to you like that. Don't let that preacher tell you. He's standing up here in that pulpit, thinks he's somebody. Yep. And he told you're you good, you You're a good do. person. You're a good person. Don't you? What he, you need, who does he think he is? I'll tell you who, who a good pastor thinks they are. They're a servant of the Lord, trying to serve the people of God. And a messenger of his word. And a messenger of his word alone. Only. Of his word only. That's right. Paul says, don't be quarrelsome. Correct your opponents with gentleness because God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. What if I don't, what if I pastored this church in the flesh, not in the spirit? What if I pastored this church doing it the way I feel like doing it in the flesh? Right. How many people would I run off and turn away from the Lord. Many, many. Paul says this to Timothy. It's possible that God might, through this pastor being mistreated, because he's confronted an evil in the, in, the, in the life of a believer, it may be that through that, through, through the patience of that pastor and that gentleness, 
that that person might, God might grant them repentance because the pastor's not going to ignore, I mean, you don't get up there every Sunday and preach about the same, same person's problem, but it could be, Dave, that every Sunday that person feels that, that fury, oh, every Sunday he's stomping on or whatever. Mm-hmm. They get offended every Sunday. You hear comments like that occasionally. Yeah, where, where it's, it's no, now I've heard comments from people to say things like, well, I tell you what, boy, every Sunday you stepped on my toes and they shake my hand and hug me and say, keep it up. Yeah. I'm talking. They, I know they appreciate they, that. They appreciate but there's it. others, that, there's others uh, that, yeah. That, they don't that, appreciate it a bit. They'll, as soon as you start preaching, they'll look for something to be critical over to say, well, he's wearing a bracelet, and I don't think a man because, will wear uh, a bracelet. Because it's just like what I said earlier. You're stepping on their self-righteousness, yeah. okay? And people like to say that I'm a good person. People like to say that, uh, uh, you know, I don't do anything bad, this, that, the other. <laughs> Unless you're living in, in Jesus, you are. Mm-hmm. If you're living in Jesus, you still are doing bad things, but Jesus' righteousness is covering you. There is no righteousness in us. God says he sees everything that we do as filthy rags. There's There's no good thing that dwells in our flesh. We are not perfect. Only he is perfect. Only he he is righteous. How does he perfect us? Through the preaching and teaching of the word. And long-suffering, because he knows we don't get it the first time, maybe even the first ten times. That's why he says forgive you know, your brother 70 times 7 and all like that. If if a pastor truly loves his congregation, he'll preach the truth in love. But preaching the truth in love will still, will still cut sometimes. It will cut when there's error, when there's sin. The Lord, the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the Word, will bring about conviction and it leads to repentance and even if a person resists, rejects, refuses to comply with the conviction that they feel, a pastor should be long-suffering and patient, enduring the evil. That does not mean that does not mean that a pastor has to allow a problem to persist forever and ever. There are ways to address that problem. If it gets to a point where it rises up to where it's infecting or infecting others. Remember he said that their message will spread like gangrene? Yes. If it gets to a point where it becomes something where it's it's becoming detrimental to the body. I'm not talking about people will say things like, boy, I tell you what, I just I have a hard time, a hard time dealing with that person because they're so unhappy and so whatever, but I love them. If that person were, a lot of times the ire will be directed at the pastor, not at the people around them. Just at the pastor, because I'm the one that's saying the thing that they don't want to hear or that they don't like. But if it were to become an issue where that were spilling over into the rest of the congregation and people were being affected by it, like that behavior was now starting to, you know, attack the congregation, there are ways to address that. There are, you know, biblically there are ways to, to handle that. And... It's not. I wouldn't call it a nuclear option because even when you handle it, the purpose of handling it within the church is not to, ooh, we got him or we got her. The purpose is to say, maybe we need to bring this up publicly to get this person to see the error of their ways, or at least we bring it up so that the negativity doesn't impact and influence the rest of the congregation. They know the issue. Here's what's going on. But again, the purpose is not to shame or to disparage or to denigrate somebody. The purpose of the biblical correction process that's given to us in the Word, um, you know, by, by Jesus, is to is for the purpose of hopefully this person coming around. 
and seeing the error of their ways right. and correcting it, right? And that's what that's exactly what what Paul is saying to Timothy here is maybe you as a pastor enduring this wrong will lead to this person Maybe God will grant them repentance. Maybe it will they, they will get a knowledge of the truth. And, and in other words, they'll have correct doctrine. They'll, they'll see it correctly. And they may come to their senses and say, man, what am I doing? I can't tell you how many times I have said to someone, I know, I know that they're acting that way. And I know it's frustrating. And I know that it's sometimes makes you want to just, you know, get in the flesh. <laughs> But that's still our brother. And how many times over time have we seen them change? Mm -hmm. Which if they would have been smashed way back here, somehow or another, maybe they wouldn't have got that chance over time to really become the different person and more Christ-like. I'm going to give you an old phrase, um, an idiom, and I think it'll make perfect sense. You ready for it? Sure. Two wrongs do not make one right. Two wrongs do not make a right. When someone's out of line, that doesn't give me permission to get out of line. You know what I mean? Fight sure, fire with fire. Absolutely. I'm all meet it head on. Boy, they think they can get rowdy. They haven't seen me get rowdy. In, uh, in my opinion, a lot of it is because they're believing the lie of the devil, which mm-hmm. is everybody is your enemy. Everybody's against you, and it's it's you. You've got to take what you can get, all these kind of things. Instead of looking at everybody that you meet and saying, hey, God made him just like he made me. We are, you know, we're brothers. We're sisters. We're, we're made by the same creator, given the same gifts. And, you know, we should all be trying to get back to God. Closer to him always. And and if if you look at people like that, and you don't have problems with people. They're not your opponent. They're not trying to, Mm -hmm. you know, Democrats are not trying to kill Republicans, hopefully. (laughs) Republicans are not trying to kill Democrats. Um, All this kind of stuff. Uh, You know, people that root for certain teams, you know, want to beat up the other team, that kind of thing. No, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's another verse. Have I now become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Oh, how about that? Have I now become your enemy because I tell you the truth? A pastor is in a precarious position because I am obligated. I am under the authority of God to preach the truth, whether it's comfortable or not, whether it's wanted or not, whether it is appealing or not. I have to be ready to instant in season and out of season to reprove, to rebuke, to reprove or uh, to to um, correct. And I'm going to tell you that sometimes people don't want to be corrected, but I don't. I don't get to say, "Oh, well, I'm not going to say that because they might not like it." I don't. I also don't have permission to just pick at something. You definitely do not. And and to cause a problem. But here's that precarious precipice upon which we are placed as pastors. There's a lot of alliteration. I haven't done that in a while. I'm pretty proud of that. (laughs) I thought I'd lost that. When I say the truth and someone is offended by it, in their minds, I'm just being mean. 
I'm just picking on them. And I'm like, 99.9% of the time when I say something, I have no idea who it's intended to hit. I, I didn't, that didn't come out the right. I, that didn't sound right. I didn't, I shouldn't have said that intended to hit. What I meant by that is I am simply the messenger. The Holy Spirit will make the message affect the person that needs to right. be affected. It's not my intention. Half, I'm telling 99.9% of the time, I don't get me wrong, Dave. Pastors sometimes have to go up to that pulpit and address a situation that they are very much aware of. And yes. before they do that, let me tell you how we do that. There is no written rule that says this. But I've heard many wise older pastors say, before you ever address something that's, that publicly, you, you need to give it two or three weeks so that you don't lash out in the flesh. There's no rule for that. There's no, there's no biblical principle basis. For, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm saying this is just something that people say. But I can assure you that before I ever open my mouth, I have carefully considered the words I'm about to say. So when you hear me say something, you think, oh, my goodness, did he mean to say that? Yes, I did. I did. I can't let their faces control what I say. I cannot allow what men are gonna, or women are going to think about me dictate my messages because if I do that, I have now become an idolater, a paid servant of the people, yep. not a servant of God. I am not going to be afraid of what may come on me because of what I say. It, I mean, you of all people should know how many times I have gone home on a Sunday and stared at the ceiling until 3 a.m. on Monday morning because I'm overthinking or concerned about what someone's going to say because I confronted whatever it is that's going on in their life. Inadvertently, through a message, because I'll get the text or I'll get the phone call or I'll hear from someone that will misunderstand. It's not so much that they misunderstood it. They completely understood what I was saying. They just wanted to see if maybe, just maybe, I would want to retract my statement so that they could go back to doing whatever it was they were doing. But I don't stand up there and take joy in that. I'm a father. I'm a pastor. I love this congregation. I love these people. I care deeply about them. If I didn't, I wouldn't be here. I would not be here if I didn't love and care. Because I would have lost my stuff long ago and launched out in the, lashed out, launched out in the flesh. But it is not my intention to cause harm or to do hurt. And before I ever say anything, I have thought long and hard about what I, not only what I'm about to say, but I have carefully considered how I am going to say it. I'll never be able to separate my personality from my delivery, and I will never do that. Because to my own self, I've got to be true. I've got to be, I've got to be who I am and not something else that I'm not. I've got to be genuine. But it doesn't get any more genuine than when I stand in the pulpit and I address an issue and I do it with tact and with love and with compassion, but I also do it with persistence. We, we, I love you, but this can't be. Not because it's bothering me. Oh, I don't like it. I certainly don't like it when I'm the object of their ire. I hate it. I hate it when I'm the one in the crosshairs and they're, when they're, they're trying to find a way to discredit what I'm saying by trying to discredit me through... But I mean, untruth and, 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 and disingenuineness. If I can be in the flesh for a moment, uh, I'm kind of envious of that, though. I've not been called to preach, okay? I've not even been called to teach. Um, I have a tendency to say things and run off <laughs> the mouth before 
you know, before I've thought things through like that, so forth. And I think that's one reason, you know, not. But I'm very envious of, of you having that ability to do that. Uh, and the Bible says that you are going to receive double portion in heaven. <laughs> and I'm envious of that, too, because you can do it. You have been called. You've been given those skills and called to, to preach the truth like that. And uh, if you've ever read your Bible, you know when the truth's being spoken because all it is is, you know, like a repeat of it. So, and, and, and very honestly and truthfully, when I hear you preach and I hear you teach, all I'm hearing is the Bible. All I'm hearing is what Jesus said to do, 100%. I overlook all the other things because that's what he says to do. If there is anything else, you know what I mean. Uh, because we're all human and we all do things and make mistakes. But uh, yes, I'm very envious of someone that has that ability to speak God's word and to say the truth and and to always be that. It, it just feels like it's every time I hear the word of God, I feel closer to God. Right. And for somebody that's been called to speak that word mm. in truth and does such a great job for it. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just, I am well, kind of envious of that. I, 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 I want to I wanna speak to that just real, real quick. It's kind of like a singer, though, too. Somebody that can sing and, and I can't. But it's a <laughs> I gift. wish I could sing, but it, it's I, a, I cannot. It's a gift that is... That is I've given. not been given that gift. It's, it's a gift that's given, passed to, to, to true, legitimate, called, and, you know, uh, anointed pastors. That's that's made very crystal clear all throughout the scripture that those who are called to lead will be given this ability to do the the job, but and that's kind of what Paul is saying here is you can kind of tell if a person truly is a pastor because they won't be quarrelsome they'll be kind and they'll they're able to teach even though they're enduring evil and they'll correct their opponents with gentleness which means you will have those who will oppose you. There will but that gentleness is always based but right here. It's the Holy Spirit that restrains me and gives me the ability to do that. And if you think about the, 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 the one who is, a, who is offended by the teaching of the word, a lot of times a, a great way for, for that person to find um, correction of their error is for them to open up their Bible and say, now God, talk to me. Not just saying, well, he said this, and I, I don't like that. But did I say what he said? And that's what you got a problem with? Oh, I don't. That, that's, that's the issue. Any is, believer should not just trust <laughs> what you say. You oh. should always verify well, and, and I, know. And like I said, I do, <laughs> I do read the Bible quite a bit. I've been through it a lot and those kind of things. I, and that's what I hear. Well, coming from you is yes. this. I want you to word? independently study the Bible. And I want you to independently verify that what I'm saying is true. But Dave, I do everything within my wheelhouse. On a, I only get a limited amount of time on a Sunday morning. Dave, you come to, unless you're sick, you're at the Wednesday night Bible studies. We are able to teach for a full hour. Uh, sometimes a little less than that, depending on when we get started or, or whatever. But Dave, for a one full hour, it is just a constant flow of the Word of God, and it's a I love it. I enjoy oh, it. I do too. It's fantastic. Our Sunday night Bible studies the same uh, way. So our, many people, podcast, if they knew, oh, I know, would be here. If they only knew, if they, if they only, only knew, knew, they would be here because well, 
every every Wednesday, every Sunday, every all this, you get to, just so much. Even Sunday school as well. Even if, even though I have a limited amount of time on a, on a Sunday school or a, a Sunday morning, I don't have as much time, I mean, as I have for a, a Wednesday night Bible study. Even on a Sunday morning, I do everything within my my ability to not just read you a Bible verse and then tell you my thoughts and move on. I am going to take you on an on a cruise through the whole Word of God to show you how all of this connects and lines up to give you the understand the well to give you the information upon which you develop your understanding of what the Word says. And again. It is very possible for me to, to, to need to make a correction in something. Uh, maybe, I mean, as a pastor, listen, man, nobody will ever be more critical on pastors than pastors themselves. Because if we truly love Jesus and we truly love people, we'll do everything we can to not um, run afoul of either one. Um, by run afoul, I don't mean offend the people because they, you tell them the truth. But you will never be mean to them. See, that's what some people think is when you say something they don't like, you're being mean. But Paul makes it very clear that even though you're not being quarrelsome, people are angry at you because you are still teaching the truth in the midst of enduring evil, and you're correcting your opponents with gentleness, meaning you're not backing down. Right. I will not back down, Dave. If you're doing I it the right not, way, you're not being mean. I but what happens not. is people get out of the Word. That, that's what I'm saying. And they yes. try to correct yes. somebody. Yes. They are being mean. That, that, that is exactly right. But when I am correcting an evil... With the word, with gentleness, it all comes out of the word. I will not. And if it down. does, it's there's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. And and even when I have to confront it, I won't back down from it. I won't say, you know, oh, because you're God. rooted in Jesus. Jesus cannot deny Himself. No, no, he, he is precisely the way he is. And ultimately, what I have to be able to see is that this person is not my opponent. Like I mean, they are opposing me, but they're not my enemy. An opponent and an enemy are two different things. I mean, they can be the same, but you know what I mean. They don't see it that way, but they're your brother. <laughs> Correct. And sometimes brothers, you know, well, it's really, while yes, I am a brother uh, in Christ, and I and you know I, I'm, I'm very big on that. I don't, don't call me some, give me some title. My name's Jeremy. I'm the pastor, and I'll carry myself as such. But I don't need you to refer to me as the high, great, right reverend. Um, and, you know, and don't call me by my last name because that ain't my name. My name that's, is that's, in, that's in the flesh right. kind of stuff. Right. That, that's, that, that is, that's the type of stuff that people who are not living, okay, we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> that, that, I was about to correct an error there, but that might have been mis misconstrued. What, when you just, you just loving me is all the respect that I need as a pastor. I don't need you to call me reverend. You can do that if you want. I don't care. But it's not required of me. It's not expected from me. I just want you to love me. I just want you to love me while I do my job. That, that's, the, that's the greatest respect you can ever give me. It's just love me. Just, just love me. It, my imperfect self. Love me and let me love the congregation. He Ultimately, though, this all goes back to the pastor does not see that person who's opposing them as an enemy that they must destroy. But they see them as a victim who has been captured by the snare of the devil. And we want to get them out. But sometimes if someone is wrapped up in barbed wire, the last thing we want to do 
the last thing we want to do is cause them to twist and turn and jump and holler and move. They're only going to hurt themselves. They're only going to hurt themselves. And if you're stuck in quicksand, the more you, the more struggle, the deeper you sink. Yeah. So we don't want them struggling against us. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we stop preaching the truth or teaching the truth or that we let up the pressure on the evil. But our goal is not to destroy the individual. Our goal is to heal the individual. Sometimes, and we got to realize it's not us doing it anyway. It's not us doing it. We are just. The, That's where people seem to think I've got to do system. something. They don't no. have to do anything. God's going to take no. care of it if take care of it. if God's called them. Yes, the know. greatest power that we have on this earth is the Word of God. It's quick. It's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides and and, and and cuts asunder the soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The greatest power we have as the church is the preaching and the teaching of the word, not our programs and our involvement in the community. While we should be involved in the community and engaged in things right. in the community, our power is the teaching and preaching of the word of God. If we ever forget that, we have lost everything we have. You and are if so you right. Are opposing the teaching and preaching of the word, you are the greatest advocate for the devil that it, there you is. You are on serving the face him. Of this You're planet. not serving Christ. And you are opposing the very work that Jesus has come to do. And if you think that a Sunday sermon should just be a Sunday school, preschool level you know, sermonette about how we're, Jesus loves us, the devil's bad, the world's going to hell, all of us are going to go to heaven, amen, let's go home. Oh, man, you are above all men and women most deceived. That Sunday morning is a time that we should come in and perform brain surgery, heart surgery, we should be working on saving gangrene limbs. This is a time, that this is this is not a, 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 a special little gathering of the saints. This is, this, is, this is hard work, manual labor. This is intensive care. This is critical care. This is the emergency room. This is the place where we come and we don't even know what's wrong with us, but we come in here and the Word of God will cut and divide and go in and find those places that are wrong and in error and are causing us pain that we don't even know why the pain was there, right. where it was coming from. And the Word of God will reach in and grab a hold of that and fix that. And we might be able to even leave on a Sunday morning weeping with tears of joy because we have come to repentance and found out what was going on that was causing us this detriment and this pain. And if we are opposing the one who is... Imagine going to the ER and punching the doctor in the face because he says, I've got to cut this... I've got to cut you open to be able to fix what's wrong with you. And you punch him in the face. What would that doctor do? And that doctor's probably He's not, not going to help you back. No. <laughs> but he can't help you unless you let him do his job. Right. So you are not saving yourself. You are denying yourself the care and the need and the and the the the, uh, the care and the treatment that you desperately need. So when you oppose the pastor, you're not opposing the pastor, you're opposing yourself because you're preventing the Lord from being able to use the method by which he has established in this world for his work to be done. It is through the teaching and the preaching of the word. Period. Period. You don't read your Bible at home. I'm not saying home. anything because I can't say anything yeah, to you, it. You, <laughs> you it is read, what it is. You don't read your Bible at home and read the same same five verses, and that's what you build your doctrine on. You don't sit at home and, and worship in your own way. You come to the house of the Lord, and you allow the Spirit of God to work through the pastor to teach and preach, to help correct and to encourage and to reprove and to make right what is wrong, to instruct you in how you should live, that is not my word, that is his word, and it is not my words that I'm preaching, it's his words that I'm preaching. 
And is it possible that I could could allow a little bit of me to enter into a message? Well, absolutely. How many Christians allow months and years to be stolen by their own selfish behavior? But I can assure you that before I open my mouth and say anything, I've thought long and hard about it because a lot of times I could stand up there and light someone up. Light them up. And I would probably have the majority of the congregation that would go, Woo-hoo, it's about time. And it would be allowed. But it would be But it would not be error. would not be it beneficial. Would not be beneficial. I don't care if you have the majority of the people on your side when you rise up against the pastor, you are not rising up against the pastor, you're rising up against the Lord. Jesus did not come to condemn. And in no way, shape, form, or fashion am I saying that a pastor of a church could not find themselves in grievous sin that needs to be addressed. Most certainly that happens. And Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5 how to handle that. You make sure that before you hear a charge against an elder or a pastor that it comes from the mouth of two or three witnesses that can verify independently that this person is doing such and such or living in such a way. Right. But you do not come up against a pastor based on your opinion. I think he ought to wear a jacket. I think the pastor ought to wear khaki pants. I think he ought to have a crease down the front of his pants, not on, not flat front pants. I'm talking about legitimate errors where there is abuse, where there is some sort of sexual sin, where there's something that is going on that is grievous, not just you don't like them, so you found something to try to bring up against them. Because the purpose of the church is for there to be unity and if a pastor is out of line, of course, that's going to affect the unity of the church. But man, listen, just because you get offended by what the pastor says does not mean it, does not mean it is time to go on a witch hunt and try to find something that you can bring, bring up and levy against them to get even with them. You're not trying to get even with the pastor. You are defying the word of the Lord. If that pastor has truly preached the word and it has offended you to the point that you're angry and mad and you want to retaliate, you're not fighting against me. So why am I going to get mad? Right. Why am I going to lash out at you? Brother, you are hurting yourself. I, you are punching yourself in the face and blaming me for it. And I am just trying to say, stop punching yourself in the face. Don't do that. This is what God says. This is what God says. And if you want to have freedom, then then God will, you will have to do it God's way. Now, ultimately, it is not... It is not out of the line or out of line for a church to discipline someone within the congregation. But if that person does not receive the discipline of the Lord, like does not, I really, I almost hate using that term because a lot of times, you know, churches will say, well, we're disciplining. And they're, they're not, there's no compassion, no love, no mercy. They've just made up their minds. They want someone out of the church, so they're going to go through the process and throw them out and say they did it biblically when they didn't. I look at it like this. If God wants them here, it's for a purpose. If they're still here, now again, if it got to a point where we had to address it publicly, we would. We could. And, and we should. It's biblical. And if that person continues to reject, then we are told to distance from them, to separate them from the fellowship. Who should make that call? Should that be us saying we've had enough? Or should we allow the Lord, via the work of the Holy Spirit, Has to, to remove that person? Because Jesus has given us instruction that right. we forgive right. evil done to us and so forth. Right. You because know. how many times has someone who's new to the church or weak in their faith 
um, been disciplined, whereas someone who has money or power or influence or is, mm-hmm. you know, traditional, they get a, a pass for what they do, but we'll pick out, pick and choose what we want to address. I say that you should always reserve the disciplinary process for the nuclear option when there is no other way. You've gone to that brother or that sister and they won't come back around. Right. But just because you go down that route does not mean that you're not loving and kind. The Corinthians were told by Paul to separate themselves from this, genu- this gentleman who had been confronted for his sin, continued to persist in it. It was affecting others in the church. And he said, you've got to separate yourself from them. Then he turns around in the second letter and says to those people, okay, now you've got to let this guy back in. He's repented. He's come back around in his faith. You've got to admit him back into the fellowship of the believers. It was never about excommunication. It was always about repentance and restoration. Goodness gracious. And only God can do that. We can't do that. I did not intend to go down this far into this discussion, <laughs> but by golly, we had it, didn't we? Yes, we did. Does that make sense, what, what we've I, said here so I love today? It. I, I think so. It the does goal. to me. I can, I can relate to it, uh, especially uh, the correction and the guidance of the Lord and so forth. You know some of the things that have happened to me. I know... Sure. A lot of uh, your early life and so forth. Sure. That's what they're talking about. You don't let those kind of things. God's trying to put you on, on a path that he wants you. That's right. Okay? And exactly. you can't say, well, this happened to me, therefore I'm of no use to God or right. anybody anymore kind of thing. That's refusing his mm-hmm. guidance and correction. Absolutely. You've got to accept it. And I do believe that he has guided me here to this church to be a part of something. Mm-hmm. Okay? And... I really love it. I mean, you know, you talk about all the time about how you love being here and hope you're for here for that. Well, I'm the same way. I, I would like to stay continuing, you know, to hear the word of God. And, and, and that, it's fantastic. That, what you're describing is exactly the purpose of the church. Even when, when we hear the correction of the Lord, we say, oh, thank you, God, that you love me enough to correct me. No one enjoys correction. But the father that loves the child will correct the child that he loves. And, and that's the purpose of the teaching and the preaching is for the correction. And it's also for encouragement. There are times when I, when the Lord will lead me to teach about something. And I know that there are people that are thinking, man, I wish he'd get back on the happy stuff, you know, <laughs> on the encouragement stuff. Yeah. But if we don't have the correction, we can't have the encouragement because he's not going to encourage us in our sin. So the purpose of a pastor, the whole, the sole purpose is to either see people get set free, to keep them free, or to set them free from the snare that they found themselves in. That sure sounds like what Jesus said to do. Him who the Son (laughs) has set free is free indeed. Whether it's setting you free from your sin the first time at your salvation, or helping keep you from falling into the snare of the fowler, or as Paul says, maybe they will be able to escape that snare and be set free when they do fall into it. I've fallen into many snares, and I've talked about them freely and openly with stress, anxiety, depression, fear. I've struggled with that and have struggled with it for years and years and years. In our last couple of podcasts, we talked about that, the irrational fears. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have... I'm, you know, I may not fall into a, I may not be going around and that pastor's going out and getting drunk or he's out fooling around on his wife. He's out, he's out 
spending all kinds of the church's money on his own personal stuff. I had to pause for a second because I dropped a pin that I got on sale when I bought my <laughs> chair on sale. And in order to get the better deal, I had to spend another dollar fifty. And this pencil, automatic pencil, was on sale for on clearance for a dollar. I think a dollar sixty something, dollar eighty something, and it put us up over the threshold to get free shipping. And I got this fancy, fancy desk chair of mine for um, oh goodness gracious! I think the whole total. I think you had to spend. You had to spend fifty dollars or seventy five dollars to get the free shipping. So yeah. I splurged and I bought this dollar fifty pencil. I am notorious around here for being so frugal, the exact opposite cheap of what, what some about. people think pastors are. You know, <laughs> cheap. Huh. Yeah, I'm not cheap, man. Stop. No, it, I, was, I get good stuff. I just get a good. Price I was trying to be it. funny. You're definitely well, my, not not but, but cheap. You buy good stuff. Just because I'm not out doing all these grandiose things that people consider these great sins. You know, that's a, that's a snare that I fall into when I allow myself to be consumed with worrying and anxiety and, and, and doubts and, and fears and such because I get consumed. It doesn't consume me and stop me from doing my job, but it does have a, it takes a toll on me physically and emotionally. And the Lord, I, I, I think I just talked to you not long ago and said, Dave, I want God to set me free from this completely. If it's his will for me to carry this the rest of my life, that's fine, but I want to know how to handle it. But I, I, I went to you and, and a few others that are really close to me and, and was open and honest about this and said, I, you know, I'm, I, I, I know that anxiety is something that everyone in some way, shape, form, or fashion deals with, but mine at times can be debilitating. And if it's possible mm-hmm. that I can be set free from that, I would love it. But if not, so be it. The Lord's will be done. But I believe the Lord's also sent me here as part of this to be, uh, I'm kind of called to be a supporter. Uh, I understand. I, I, a helper, uh, an encouragement, yes. those kind of things. 100% I agree. There's always that. things I can, I can yes. do. You know, For I don't personally. have your skill as a teacher. I don't have your skill no. as a pastor and preacher but and those I kind of things. But I have things that I can do. Yeah, and I couldn't do this if I didn't have people like you that I can lean on, that I can be honest and open with and and share what's really going on inside here. Sounds an awful lot like a body that uh, everybody that supports everybody Isn't else and keeps it going. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, when the back is itching, the brain tells the hand to scratch the back. There you go. What I'm getting at here, and I'm, we're going to wrap this up. Um, goodness gracious, Dave, we talked way longer than I thought we would, but I am in no hurry to yeah. shut her down. Yeah, but what stuff. I'm going to wrap it up here is um, I've been in ministry for, oh my goodness, almost 30 years. Almost 30 years I've been in ministry. And here I am talking about how I'm, I'm hopeful that the Lord is, I see that the Lord has spoken to me about it's time, it's time for this healing to start taking place in, in me. And I think about how many times, you know, in, in personal conversations that I've had with people, they could see the anxiety in me and that stress. And they would think, why does he do that? Why does he get so worked up about that? And do you know what I would say to them? If you can ever find out the answer, let me know, because I'm asking the same question every second of every day. Right. Why am I like this? But the purpose of, of the, the church, the purpose of the teaching and preaching of the word that takes place in the church is for the purpose of helping people get free, Dave. It's to help people get set free and to get their lives back in order. Back in order. And the last thing we need in this world are churches that are out of order because if the church is out of order, how in the world are the individual people going to be able to get themselves in order? Yes. 
Well, we'll close it out with that. Um, Dave, thanks again for, for being on the podcast with us today. I hope everyone will um, you know share this podcast. Tell your family and friends about it. Um, not all of them will be an hour and a half podcast like this one. But uh, I had a young man tell me recently uh, when I told him, I said, we were, I, I may work toward getting these podcasts down to like 45 minutes or something. He said, I'm going to stop you right there, big guy. And he proceeded to correct me. He said, if you're going for two and a half hours, you let her run because people can stop a podcast and start it back up. It doesn't matter how long or how short they are. You're and correct. He said, as a matter of fact, I kind of like them when they're longer because you're going deeper into the subject matter. And we can't limit, we can't limit whatever <laughs> right. God wants to say because it's right. God saying all this stuff. Sure it's it not really us. Sure We're is. just so, passing along. So tell your family and friends if, you've, you know, if you enjoy this podcast. Um, I hope, hopefully it ministers to you and it will minister to your family. Uh, but help us get the word out about the podcast. It's not about us and getting our name out there. It's about getting the, the word of the Lord out there and his name exalted. So uh, uh, feel free to, uh, to like and, and uh, uh, follow us, subscribe to our podcast. And please, please, please feel free to share this podcast on social media, online with your, or partially with your family and friends. Thanks and if again. You, if you want to see if any of this stuff is true, Come and see. Come and check it out for yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we, we'd love to have you at Monterey Baptist Church. Come on down. And, it will, and be a part it will affect you. Um, thank you, guys. We'll, we'll see you next time.